Blog Talk Radio. No Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge for a fresh new start. Day Network will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the air. Morning, everyone. This is Fran Lewis, and I'm waiting for Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child to call in. I guess they're a little delayed, or maybe the time got up. So let me give you a little hint about. The book, A Fumified Corpse, is found in a cellar that is a century old. It's in an abandoned building in a remote New Mexico ghost town. Special Angel Corey Watson is assigned. Hold on, somebody is actually here, and i got to do this if my freaking phone will let me do it. Hi, good morning. This is Fran. Hi, how you doing? Who's this? It's Lincoln. Lincoln, hi. Douglas isn't here. I don't know what happened. So He will be to- here. He'll be here shortly, so if you want to just smoothly I'll start. Um, begin with me and then just introduce questions to him when he comes That's on. No problem. I'm just, I'm just glad you're here. <laughs> um, yeah. I am thrilled that you guys are doing this, and I, lo- I love Nora and Cora. Corey, I love them. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Yeah, well, but what's left um, of the book that's in my hand is all marked up and underlined, and I have hands out. They're not getting it. They have to buy it. So how did you... <laughs> Corey and Nora began working together in Old Bones, which I reviewed, by the way, and he's here. Hi, Hi. Douglas and Fran. I'm so glad you guys are here. Um, I read Old Bones and I reviewed it, and my 20 stars are on Amazon. So how did they come to work together as a team? Now, Corey is a junior special agent, and Nora is an archaeologist. So how did they come to work together? Because they didn't start very friendly, did they? The reason they started was um, because uh, Doug and I had finished another um, uh, secondary series with Gideon Crew as the protagonist. Uh-huh. And we were looking around for a really exciting um, new series we could write um, as an alternative to Pendergast. You know, more quick-moving, uh, linear, action-filled uh, series. And we thought about Nora Kelly because she's has been in so many of the Pendergast books. And she's an archaeologist. She lives in a very different location, you know, in Santa Fe. Um, and so, but then we quickly realized she can dig up dead bodies. She can dig up mysteries, but she can't act on them. So it just quickly occurred to us, let's bring in Corey Swanson, mm-hmm. who's also appeared in a lot of books. She's now a fledgling FBI agent. Um, they make a perfect pair, and they're both very strong-willed women, and it might be fun to try and create a series about these women bonding, um, fighting, uh, you know, growing um, as they solve cases together. That's interesting. You know, the I went, my first degree was a, was a bachelor's in music, but my science was archaeology. So this, I yeah. love it. 
Yeah, I, they, I could take whatever I wanted, but archaeology was fun because they actually took us out on, you know, mini digs or whatever, so this really got me. It brought back memories. It's so much fun. So tell Thank us you. about the hostage scene at the start of the novel. Well, that, that um, was, you know, Corey is a new FBI agent, and in the FBI when you are first, you know, when you first start as an agent, you have a two-year mentorship. So you have an older FBI agent who sort of is you and, and helps you learn the ropes. And uh, so her mentor is a fellow named Morwood, Special Agent Morwood. And um, so he's giving her some pretty easy cases, nothing too extreme, uh, you know, nothing involving, uh, you know, some, some of the really dangerous kind of assignments mm-hmm. that FBI agents sometimes have. And so they're returning from a serving a warrant on a teenage hacker, um, and mm. they've served the warrant, and they're on their way home back to the FBI field office in Albuquerque, and they get a call of a domestic violence, violence situation uh, at a campground in the Sandia Mountains. And they are the closest uh, of law enforcement, and so they have to respond. So all of a sudden... Um, they are responding to a situation that is extremely high risk because domestics are among the most high-risk FBI or law enforcement situations you can have. Um, you know, mm. often domestic um, more police and FBI agents are killed in domestic violence situations than in almost anything else. So they go up to the campground, and there is a a, a man who's murdered his. Uh, girlfriend and holding her daughter hostage with a gun to her head, the nine-year-old daughter, and all of a sudden, they're the first to arrive, and all of a sudden, they have to deal with the situation. And it's extremely high risk, extremely high uh, uh, suspense and tension, uh, and it's just, and all of a sudden, Corey finds herself thrown into the situation. And uh, I don't want to spoil the first chapter no. by saying what happens, but in the end, Corey feels that she failed. She feels that she yeah. did not perform the way she should have and feels really bad about it. And so she goes into the novel with, with, with a feeling that she's not a good FBI agent, that she's failing, that you know the FBI is still a male-dominated culture, and so some of the, her peers who are male are sort of snickering behind her back, and you know, there's this question, oh, can a woman really cut it, on and on. So she has to deal with that. And that's what she's dealing with going into the story, uh, which doesn't involve a domestic or anything like that. It involves something completely different. But um, it's just a, uh, you know, puts her in a very difficult and challenging situation early in her FBI career. Yes, he is. So tell us, so tell us about Moorhead. He will keep going. He gave her a hard time. And then Homer Watts. So, and then what? What? And what is de- what is the definition of a relic hunter? What exactly does a person like that do when they're searching for these things? I'm sorry, the definition of a what? I didn't quite catch that. What is what is more more? What is her boss? Right? He's the, he's in charge of her. Yes. So he he seems to give her a hard time no matter what. And then um, why why does he give her such a hard time all the time? Well. I think that um, because he's he's uh, he's ghosting her in in the, in the terminology, you know, he's watching her. I think he mm-hmm. sort of has to. He, 
Um, I think the hard time is is a bit of a put on. You know, yeah. he, it's 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 a step down from the academy, where of course they they like to yell and bully people. But you know, his job is to make sure that she really has what it takes to be an FBI agent. And um, part of what you see is bullying is really just his gruff exterior. You know, mm-hmm. he he um, he really thinks that um, uh, Corey has a lot has what it takes, but he has to make sure of that. I mean, that's his responsibility. And it, mm-hmm. I think if you look between the lines, you'll see that 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 he realizes that Corey um, takes what happened in the trailer park uh, really to heart, and she and she the last thing she needs is for him to uh, jump on her about it. So mm-hmm. I think he, in his own you know gruff way, he tries to explain to her that you know she did okay and she shouldn't beat herself up about it. Well, there's a relic hunter that found this. So what exactly does he do? When they realize what he found, they brought Corey in. And how does she feel about this case at first? Which which case is that? The um oh the 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 finding of the mummy in the in the Yeah. Uh, yeah, that that well that's sort of interesting because she feels that she's being punished, that this case uh see what what happens is they uh the sheriff of Socorro County um, comes upon a looter in an old ghost town who's uncovered a human body, a mummy, basically, a desiccated human body that may or may not be the victim of a murder. And so Corey is asked to go out there to find out, you know, is this a homicide or was it an accident? What is it? And so she feels that this is really kind of a punishment uh, for her mm. failure at the, the campground and she and so she's got a bit of a chip on her shoulder, and the sheriff of Socorro County is a young guy named Homer Watts, who uh, is not at all the good old boy that she thinks, but is actually kind of an interesting and complex character. So she goes yeah. out there, she realizes that this body is really delicate and needs to be excavated by a professional archaeologist. So she goes and asks Corey, uh, asks Nora Kelly if she would excavate the body for her. So Nora comes in, and they start excavating the body, and that's when they realize that it's a very strange situation. The body is mm. in a position. It's got its arm out as it pushes something away, and an expression on its face of absolute terror and horror. And there are other aspects to the body which are very strange. The skin is coming off in seats and so forth. Mm-hmm. And then body they find an extremely valuable artifact, a, uh, a Spanish colonial gold cross that's worth several hundred thousand dollars. And so all of a sudden they realize this is a much more interesting and complex case than they thought. But still, Corey and Nora are not able to figure out how this person died. Did they die by accident or was it a homicide? So they take the body back to the FBI uh, lab in Albuquerque and they start dissecting it. They start working on it, trying to figure out the cause of death. And they also are trying to figure out who he was. And so they do a, re- a Corey, an expert at the reconstruction of his face. And then they take a photograph of that reconstruction, and they start passing it around, seeing if anybody recognizes him. Um, they know the body is about 75 years old, based on coins found in the pocket. That's about all they know. 
Well, the interesting part was the procedure and what they had to go through to take the body out so it doesn't get corrupted and it doesn't fall. That's why she needed Nora. So how do you do something like that? You must have had to do a lot of research on that, too. I was, like, holding my breath until they got the body out. Well, we're we're lucky as a team, or I'm lucky, to have Doug around, yeah. who not only knows a lot about archaeology, um, oh, good. which we're both fans, just, just as you are, um, yeah. with your degree. But um, uh, he also knows a lot about the Southwest. And there, you know, as you can imagine, there are certain protocols for digging out a body. Um, mm-hmm. And those protocols vary from region to region. And uh, in the Southwest, with its very arid, desiccated, you know, uh, well, I mean, very arid uh, lack of humidity, bodies tend to, rather than decompose like they might in the ground um, in New England or, or some someplace, they they tend to get desiccated, dried out. And um, so that's why they assume it's almost like a mummy, you know, with, but, but it's very, nevertheless, it's very strange because, it's very brittle. The skin is peeling off. You know, this mm. is this is not normal, um, especially when they realize it's a relatively new um, uh, uh, corpse. I mean, new in the sense of it's not Anasazi or early Spanish. Um, and so the difficulty uh, is twofold, really. The di- one difficulty is just is just the, the problem of getting the body out of the mm. cellar, which has been full of sand. Um, getting it out without damaging it or missing anything. And the yeah. second part is simply a part of archaeology where you have to go very slowly and watch for other artifacts while you're digging it out and, you know, go inch by inch until it's all exposed and then you very, very carefully take it out. So it's, it's you know, uh, taking the body out is probably a much longer process than when the body falls in initially. <laughs> Well, she wanted Nora to excavate it, but Nora had other cases to do. So how do they form an alliance that they're going to work together? And then well, you Nora, had to do research into 16th century, too, I imagine. This is so cool. We did, yeah. Our novels uh, require a lot of research. I mean, one of the things we love to do is to bring information to the reader that they don't have normally. It's, these novels aren't just about, you know, thrillers, about murders and and you know, tense situations of detective work or anything. They're also about history. They're about legends. And this novel, The Scorpion's Tale, is full of, of legends and history of New Mexico, like going back to the Spanish colonial period, uh, stories of buried treasure, um, and also going back to the uh, test of the first atomic weapon um, in, mm. in the Del Muerto Desert of New Mexico, in the Manhattan Project, all these things play a role in the novel, and uh, so it's a it's, it's a very interesting novel from the point of view of of New Mexico history, um, mm-hmm. not just a really thrilling story, but also there's a lot of history. This is this is so interesting. By the way, I I speed read, and I remember every word. Then when I read the book, I have it memorized in my head. This took me two hours. Seriously, I just sat oh, down and read it. Well, we're glad you enjoyed it. Mm. More than that. So tell us about Hawks and his amazing skills with guns, because he was an important part of this also. That was interesting. Oh, you mean uh, the, the sheriff? Um, yeah, the sheriff. Uh, the sheriff lot. was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, 
he developed over the course of the book. Um, we wanted to have a local character involved from the beginning simply because we wanted to have not just people like Corey who were, uh, mm-hmm. you know, transplants from someplace else, um, but somebody who lived around there and could not only provide some local color, but who would know who might be responsible for this kind of thing and could take them places that they themselves wouldn't know about or couldn't go and could talk talk to the locals. And over the course of his developing this character, we decided he'd be pretty young, easygoing, um, and, you know, we, we rewrote the opening so that he, we, we decided, let's make him a, a real figure out of the Old West, you know, somebody who believes in a code of honor, but who also isn't afraid to uh, use a firearm in the, in the course of duty if it's necessary. And you'll notice that he gives, he, he, he gives uh, the, the looter a, a, a chance to surrender at the beginning. Um, to the point where he uh, he gets shot himself, not not seriously, mm. of course, but all leading up to the fact that we really wanted the book to end, since it's set in the West, end in a very climactic and harrowing, mm-hmm. and yet in some ways very modern, old-fashioned, uh, you know, uh, gun gun battle, um, and uh, that's where we thought let's make Homer Watts dead shot but make him really uh, shocked about it, you know, and that's why we added the fact that he dumps all his medals and trophies off at his parents' house. Cause mm. he, he, he is, he, that's, that's his sport. That's his work. And yet he's also very humble. I won't get to the ending, which I said, like, what? Really? Um, you, you got me there. I was like surprised that you did that. We won't say what, because that would kill everything. So when Corey finally gets to the scene, and they lower, she lowers herself. She finds something else to, that she didn't expect. Right. She finds another one. Which, which, which did she find? Which scene is that? She, when she, they lower Corey because she has to go in and get, you know, into the cellar. What happens when she finds another body there? That must have been like, oh, my God. Yeah, that, well, when they, when they find the second body, which is uh, quite a bit, later in the story, they realized that this first person was not alone. Um, yeah. I had a partner. And uh, it's really, uh, uh, I mean, there are a lot of twists. You mentioned this. Um, there are a lot of twists in the story. Uh, we love uh-huh. a story that surprises the reader. And so, uh, you know, we, we don't want a linear story where you sort of start at A and end up at B. We like starting at A and ending up at Q or Z. Um, and uh, we, we like surprising the reader uh, and bringing them on a real adventure. And uh, so, so we, I was glad to hear that you, uh, you know, liked the surprise at the end. Uh, uh, yeah, the end, the end got me. And, and the reason yeah. why they, the reason why this happened was, whoa, really. So there's a, there's a, a definition that you need to define. What is, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, H-I-N-N-I-E, a hiney? A hiney. A hiney. I wasn't sure if it was a short eye or a long eye for my reading math, reading thing. Yeah. Well, a hiney is, um, you know, there, there, there are two types of mules. Um, and a hiney is a cross between a stallion and oh, well. a, a stallion and a female donkey. Uh, whereas 
So it's, they're, they're not really um, that. That's not considered to be a good cross. You want what you really want is a cross between a mare and a, a male donkey. <clears throat> you mm. get a better mule that way. <laughs> so. So how do how do you process yeah, this type of body? How do you identify the cause of death on that? Well, in in, in this case, the hinny or the mule, um, someone had shot to the head. It had been executed, down. And so that's that's another mystery in the story. Is well, wait a minute. Why did these two people um, shoot their own mule? Or yeah. Did someone else kill the mule. And uh, so you know these these sorts of, of Strange clues build up and build up, and Corey, as the FBI agent, has to figure out what, how they all come together, what, what they mean. Well, why would someone shoot their own mule? And then they look at the mule very carefully in the lab, the bones of the mule, and they see other things that are strange. The mule had cracked ribs, for example. Well, what happened to the mule fall down? What cracked those ribs? That's pretty tough to crack the ribs of the mule. Um, so, again, these, these clues pile up before you have to figure it out. Well, we have another character that I didn't really like. I won't say why. That would be Hucky. Why do you seem to have more But He just wanted to take part in this where the corpse was found. How come he even wanted to be there? What was his purpose? Well, um, don't want to give too much away here, That's but what I'm you weren't supposed to... You weren't supposed to like Hucky. He um, he gave us a chance to introduce a typical um, mm. mansplaining, uh, obnoxious, old-fashioned, yeah, he is. Um, he is. you know. And it also gave a chance for us to show uh, Corey, um, who has a legendary temper, but it has been learning for her professional life to keep it in check. To really stand up and assert herself against these this bunch of good old boys who, you know, are sort of acting blasé in this case is not, you know, no big deal. And hey, why is this young uh, person who happens to be a female in charge of so many things? And um, so he's he's there as as basically a foil story. And also, he has an unhealthy interest of his own in mm-hmm. sites like this, which comes into play later in the story. Well, we're not going to tell what that is, because that would just ruin everything. So, this was interesting, too. I'm telling you, I learned a lot. And I looked up a whole lot of words in this one. So, what kind of marks were found on the corpse, and what are essays? That's interesting, too. Well, the, the, As- what a, sorry, go ahead. Assays? No, I was just asking a question. Assays, as in as in metallurgy. Yeah, A S S A Y S. Yeah, that that that's right. Well, the corpse. Um, you know, one of the interests that both of us have is in physical anthropology, or or its criminal mm-hmm. or forensic anthropology. And that is, mm. how do you take body? Or the remains of the person, and figure out who they were, how old they were, what sex they were, um, what problems they might have had in life in terms of disease, uh, what they did, and what they looked like, and finally how they died, and then what happened to their body after death. 
these are all important aspects of the novel. And of course, Corey is a is a forensic anthropologist. That is her field, and so she's able to do you know look at this body and see all these remarkable things. For example, the body uh, the body had broken ribs. The body had a fracture of the skull. The body skin was coming off in sheets. So what what happened? What could have there were no external injuries, no the person was shot, they were stabbed, they were uh, they did psychology tests, they determined he wasn't poisoned. So how the heck did he die? And why yeah. did he die with such in such agony, with such a terrible expression on his face and why what was happening with his skin and, and so forth? And uh, so so the, the novel really have, goes into depth in that area. It must be difficult to look at a dead body like that, though. She must. I'm surprised she didn't. She didn't get sick or, or go worse. That's kind of hard. Well, she's used to yeah, that. Yeah, I guess actually, it's, you know, it's part of the trade. You have you get used to that. Yeah. Unfortunately. I mean, they've all so gone we have, through the, the uh, you know gone through human anatomy in college, yeah. um, and which means dissecting a. Corpse, and uh, you know that's pretty tough, but you, you get used to it. Um, it's, uh, I don't know. I think I'll stick with the fact that I'm a reading specialist. It's much better working with kids. So when well, Watts I, 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 inter- well, I was going to say I what? Did, you know, I yeah, I did. I have when Watts introduces Corey to someone that might know the identity. He's 94 years old, and he doesn't want to be found. I don't blame him. So how does this lead to the identification of the corpse and to Jesse Gomer? I mean, if you don't want to be found, I can understand that, but she found him. Uh, In terms of the 94-year-old man, you mean? Um, Yeah. uh, Okay, so, so not to give anything away, we're talking about the person that Nora finds. Yeah, no Yeah, yeah. After, after a prolonged search, okay. Um, without giving anything away or mm-hmm. as minimal uh, as minimally as I can, um, this person turns out to have played a, a critical role in in the event that killed the first body that uh, was found um, by by Corey. Um, uh, and uh, they only find this out because of tangential reasons when they when they autopsy the body, the initial body, the mummified body coming with the skin coming off in sheets, and they later realize that person must have had somebody else involved in some way or other with that case. And the nice thing about this is that person turns out to be Native American, and. Mm. Um, Nora is uniquely um, uh, capable with her background uh, um, in, in, in New Mexican uh, history. Um, she's uniquely capable of, of not only finding such a person, but convincing people who might be his friends or, or know of him to trust her and realize why it's important that he be found. And the reason he doesn't want to be found is part and parcel of the reason that the other guy died in the first place. 
So we won't give oh, away God. what that is. No, we're not giving anything away because there are people that are actually listening, and we don't want to tell them too much. So there was something that they that they found when they found the body also. And it says, Trinity was the code name of the first detonation of a nuclear device. That's interesting. Why is this information to what happened to the corpse? Well, that, that's, a, that's a good question. I, I'm, the... Um, the, a lot of the action in the book takes place in the White Sands Missile Range, which is a, uh, the, the nation's yeah, I have that largest. Next. Yeah, that's the nation's largest area for testing of missiles, and mm-hmm. it, this is where, in 1945, the Manhattan uh, Project produced the first atomic bomb, and they tested it uh, at the Trinity site in the Hornada del Muerto Desert. Uh, in New Mexico, and uh, a lot of the action takes place um, north of, the, of that of that test site, and it does play a role. We, we don't want to say what role, but it does play a role in the um, in the novel. That that remarkable test that was the first detonation of a nuclear bomb on the surface of the Earth. Um, it does play a role in the novel in a very surprising. An unexpected way, but the White Sands missile range still exists. It's, uh, they test this is where they test all the Predator drones, missiles, all kinds of advanced weaponry are tested there um, by the Army Command, and even the Navy test weapons there as well. So it's uh, well, this- it's another interesting aspect of the novel. There's a lot. You should see my. You should see what I did to the book just to write notes on the side, so I remember what the book was about and all the all the all the sides. I couldn't give this to someone if I tried. <laughs> that that's how many how many things I circled that were important. So the Goma Ranch, the relationship to the Goma Ranch and the government did to the family that caused them to have to leave the land and why that was horrible, and why and how can the government do something like that? I guess they can. Well, I think the government can just about do whatever they want, you know, one way or the other. That's but sad. in this case, in this case, you're uh, refer well. Ho- hopefully, it's for good reason. Um, but in this case, you're referring to what was initially meant to be a temporary um, uh, re- relocation of certain families who lived in a very remote area that that was adjacent to a site the army was planning to use to test early, early atomic weapons. Um, and uh, so people, of course, couldn't be living downwind or within a certain radius of that site. So they were temporarily relocated, I guess, by right of eminent domain or whatever, whatever mm. you know, uh, legal codicil was invoked. And it wasn't meant to be permanently originally until they until, until people realized just how important this was going to be for the future of... Uh, uh, defense um, and ultimately they were compensated for their homes but of course you can't necessarily compensate someone for his memories for his uh, mm-hmm. his or his or her uh, you know um, a love of a location so it's uh, it's an unusual story and I'm glad that Doug was able to bring that in because I doubt very many people know that that actually happened and it did, right, Doug? Yes, it did. Yeah. And I looked it up, so I know it did. 
<laughs> I have this habit of doing research just to make sure that I know what I'm saying, that I'm asking the right thing. <laughs> so, Nora wants to talk with Jesse, but he wants her out of the way. How come? Then he decides after a while because he finds out something that maybe I better deal with her. How come he he does he changes his mind? I know that. It turns well, out Jesse, that Jesse is related to the person who was found dead originally, yeah. um, and he is a kid who is. We tried to we tried to paint a portrait of a um, uh, a rather sad figure, a uh, tragic figure almost. Um, you know, he's intelligent. He had a bright future, or so he thought, but he he never made it, and he's come back now, and he's had enough education to know that he's he's just he's essentially never going to get where he wants to get or fulfill his promise, and he's he's rather he's something of a drug addict, and um, he senses that there's some money in this for him, and so. Uh, he has an innate distrust of the law because of the kind of personality he has. But he also, if there's something, there's some treasure here, or if there's some, we were talking about a phase of metal earlier, if there's some kind of something in here that he, he should inherit, he wants to make sure that he gets his part. So he has a kind of a love-slash-hate relationship. And Corey, being close to his own age, tries to foster a... Uh, if not a, a friendship, at least an understanding between them, and that is a rather fraught uh, undertaking. Well, there's a lot more history in this novel, right? So you talk about the Pueblo Revolt, and you talk about how did they get the photos, and what was special about the parchment that they found. That's what's interesting. There's a lot more history in this book. Yeah, the uh, well, the Pueblo Revolt uh, is a very interesting episode in early Spanish colonial history of New Mexico. Uh, you know, New Mexico was settled in 1598 by Don uh, Juan de Añate, and in 1680, the Pueblo Indians revolted against Spanish rule, uh, killed a number of padres, and drove the Spanish completely out of New Mexico. And then there were 12 years where there were no... Europeans in New Mexico. And as part of that story, uh, when the, the Spanish were driven out of New Mexico, they had to abandon a lot of treasure, a lot of gold and silver that was in the mission churches. And the, the story goes, it's sort of a legend, but there's some truth to it, is that the Spanish had advanced word of the revolt. So they went around and they collected all the ecclesiastical treasure and they couldn't get it, they couldn't load it up on mules and get it down, the, down into Mexico. So what they did instead, they hid it in a cave somewhere or an old gold mine uh, to await their return. But the Indians, the Pueblo Indians who hated the Spanish and hated gold, because they associated gold with forced labor and they thought it was a metal that made Europeans crazy, um, blocked up and hid the mine that they knew the gold was in so it would never be found again. And so the idea is that that gold is still there somewhere in New Mexico, a tremendous fortune in ecclesiastical gold somewhere in New Mexico waiting to be found. And so the story involves 
also that idea of this great treasure in New Mexico that has never been found that's hidden you know, back in 1680. The Spanish returned in 1692. All the documents have been destroyed, all the maps, all the, everything had been burned by the Indians. And so there was no, no one left to know that this gold was. And so mm. it just was hidden. This is, then don't think we're strange have. Then we talk about Saguma. Why did the army become part of the investigation, and why did the general appear to want to help? Well, he appeared he wanted to help, um, as mm-hmm. you as you um, phrase it, because uh, <laughs> without going into detail, we're not yeah. sure if, if he's good or bad, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a result, um, if he was good, he'd want to help because um, you know he's he's a model citizen and he wants the he wants the, the uh, army base to be uh, to cooperate with the other authorities. And if he isn't a good person, he wants to seem still seem good because he doesn't want any suspicion thrown his way. How's that for a? Uh, um, uh, an answer, a two, a two, a two-faced answer, or uh, mm-hmm. equivocal, equivocal answer. Well, before I forget, no, I want to forget. Monday, the author of Altira's Travels. On Wednesday, everybody who loves and adores Brian Freeman, finite, it's scary. On the 11th, David Rich, The Mirrored Palace, and on the 17th, everybody that you know, Dick Belsky. Jeff Bond, Tim Ahrens, and Derek McGavin, we have a panel show on uh, the changes in publishing and what happens with children in school when they have to do digital learning, and that's my field, so I'm excited about that. And that's just some, and of course, at the end of March, one and only Philip Margolin on the 31st, The Matter of Life and Death. I am so thrilled, and there's a lot more in between. So, Nora and Corey solved their case and learned more about the corpse, but what changed it? What changed? Um, you mean where, where did how the they found come it? in? How, what, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they, you know, the thing is that there are all these, as I mentioned, there are legends of treasure buried in New Mexico. And here is a cross that dates from before the Pueblo Revolt. And so at a certain point, the idea comes up that maybe this cross was from this ecclesiastical treasure, this famous treasure that has never been found. Now, there's a true story about this called the Victorio Peace mm. Treasure. And people listening to this uh, pod, to this uh, podcast can, can Google that and read about it. Uh, that this that this treasure is buried in a peak that is now in the White Sands Missile Range in the treasure hunters. There have been stories and accusations that the army stole the gold, or that this or that, or, or uh, um, you know, the, the people wanting to go and explore for the treasure, and the army not letting them because it was on, uh, you know, land that was closed to uh, you know civilian entry and so forth. And so that that becomes a factor in the story. And I just want to say that there is no treasure in Victoria Peak in our novel. Um, just like mm-hmm. there probably isn't in, in, in the real world. Mm-hmm. That isn't to say that 
treasure doesn't exist. It's just to say that they're looking for it in the wrong place. Well, hopefully, the wrong people won't find it in any place, but you don't know. So, what does she learn from Jesse about his grandfather? What happens when he realizes that he was killed in the blast? That must have been a shock also. Well, he he learns two things. First, uh, it's a shock, like you said, because nobody nobody in the story, um, as yeah. long as we're discussing this, expected you know this to have occurred or there to be any casualties. And secondly, given his financial situation, it even makes him more eager to find out just what he may have had on his person and what. Um, he is owed, and also uh, tangentially how much he might be himself investigated in, in case they, yeah. he is suspected of any kind of illegal um, trading in antiquities that you can imagine as a big black market for in the Southwest. Well, people will do anything to find a treasure, maybe, and they'll do anything yep. just to get it, I guess. So what is the medicine bundle? What was the significance of that? I found that interesting. Well, that, that is interesting. Uh, the, uh, um, one of the partner of Jesse, uh, Jesse Gow, the mummy that they found, they finally able to identify. His partner was a young Apache Indian uh, who was, lived on the Mescalero Apache Reservation. And um, in Apache culture, uh, as in Navajo culture, the two uh, groups are very closely related. Um, most individuals have a medicine bundle, which is a bundle. It's a very special thing. It's a, a bundle which contains soil from the four sacred mountains plus soil from their own home place and other things that's sort of a sacred uh, anchoring of them to the world and to their to their land. And so this medicine bundle is found up where this body was found, and they realize that something must have happened that was so terrible that it caused this person, this Apache, to abandon his mm. medicine bundle. And what could have been so terrible to cause him to do that? And so they, they want to find him and ask him, well, why, you know, return the medicine bundle to him and ask him what happened. And that is exactly what happens. They're able to find him. Uh, Nora is able to find him and turn uh, his medicine bottle to him. And she hears the most horrific, the most mind-bendingly awful story about what happened that caused him to, to abandon his medicine bundle and never come back to get it. And uh, so... So that's that, that's an important moment in the novel, that realization mm-hmm. of what was so awful, frightening, that caused him to uh, leave that bundle behind. So he's very there are happy. two other characters. I don't know if I'm going to ask you what they who they are though. Well, you can we'll answer oh. any questions you ask us. <laughs> so go ahead. Who is who is Nanton? And what does he have to do with this? And who is Nick Espagio? Espagio. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. I don't pronounce my Spanish too well. I took French. (laughs) That's all right. Um, 
Nicholas well, Bejo was simply a a a peg or, uh, or a piece of the puzzle that Nora follows mm-hmm. in searching down this 94-year-old man. And mm-hmm. um, Doug, who knows a great deal about the people who live out there, um, the indigenous people, uh, as well as people, you know, like, you know, more more recent settlers, um, has a real feel and a real empathy for that. And, and he's good because Nick Espejo has a, a foot in both worlds, the, uh, the Native American world, which he grew up in, also in the, uh, the, the you know, the, the more rather boring, lackadaisical work of modern commerce. He works in a bank. And um, so he's simply a, uh, a conduit who helps Nora find um, this, this mysterious 94-year-old character. Well, here's my next question. What other historical events are related to the treasure, and what other places did you include? Because there's a lot of places in her to keep track, a lot of, set, a lot of settings. Well, there is a lot of history in the novel. One of the things... Um, that we included in terms of the history um, was in the 1960s. Uh, the the army did the, the 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 story has it that the army did try to find the treasure in Victoria Peak. Now, what I'm telling you is true. This is true. Um, this is not part of the mm-hmm. novel. Um, that there were accusations that when Lyndon Johnson was vice president. He learned about the treasure, and as vice president, he, he formed a secret cabal with several military, uh, the commander of White Sands, several others, to go to Victoria Peak and retrieve the treasure, which he did, and that that was the foundation of his, of his fortune. That was what enabled him to, to buy all those radio stations and so on and so forth. So this is, this is a foundation that has never been proven. Um, but uh, it's just one of those stories floating around about the uh, Victoria Peak treasure. Um, like I said, in our view, there really is no treasure in Victoria Peak. It's somewhere else. But that's uh, uh, others think that there is a treasure there that just hasn't been found yet. And there's still others. There was a treasure there, but it was found by the army and stolen and distributed very to a small number of people. So how safe was it? I remember reading in the book that at times Corey had to stay there by herself at night or with someone. How safe is that to do that in a, in a dig like that? Especially, you know, when she's sort of wondering why, how these bodies got there. Well, since well, Doug has traveled across that whole area by horseback, he's a good one to answer that. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, you know, when you're way out in the middle of nowhere like that, it's pretty yeah. safe. There's just no people around. I mean, where it's not safe is close to a town where there might be drunk kids or or criminals or whatever who might come across you and think, oh, out here where that I can rob. And, but when you're way out in the wilderness, way the hell out, it's safe. Um, it's not completely safe. There might be a person out there. As Corey, um, as as uh, uh, Nora finds out, um, and her brother Skip, that in fact there were some really dangerous people out there, specifically because of what they were hoping to find in that book. 
another kind of uh, an object to take value. This is all connects. I don't want to say what it is. But it's no. Doug, you know, would I question... be correct in saying that it's 95% very safe and 5% uh-huh. very, very dangerous? Yeah. I don't think I would want to do that. So tell us what happens when Corey, Nora, and Watson Moorhead realize who is behind it. We're not going to say who, but what are they, What happens when they finally get, get, oh, my God, you have to be kidding. That's what happened. Well, that's, uh, again, we don't want to give away too much, but that's no, a you don't want to give away anything. revelation. Yeah, we want to, that's a, that's a huge revelation that the book's been leading up to. And yeah. uh, uh, the, the the funny thing is, the way we set the book up is, when Corey and Nora realize it, they are far away from uh, Homer and Morwood, and yeah. uh, they are in a very dangerous situation, and they can't do anything about it. Um, they, their lives are in danger at that point. I know. I was not happy. Now, this question is going to be very vague, people. Why did you bring in this surprise ending? And how did Corey feel when she was about to present the case and all the dust was settled? And then you put in a surprise ending, and I went, what? Yeah, well, we, 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 we sort of, when we conceived this series, we thought, wouldn't it be fun for Pendergast to make a cameo appearance in each novel? I love him. <laughs> and so, thank you. So, so in this novel, um, there's one mystery left. Now, main case has been solved. Uh, the bad guys, the perpetrators are arrested, um, and, and uh, so the case is over. But there's one mystery left, and so Corey is trying to solve that. He's got all the evidence lined up on the table, and the FBI, uh, you know, um, they're going to have allocation, a sort of a group examination of the evidence, figure out this one remaining question. And this is something the FBI does, you know, when they they, they get a bunch of agents together who have been working on the case, they lay out all the evidence, and they look at mm-hmm. it, what could it be? So this is where he does. She lays out the evidence, brings in all the people, brings out the the evidence she's laid out is missing. And it's very embarrassing to her. And she's like, well, I don't know what happened to it. Who could have stolen it? It's in a high-security area. And then they realize that Pendergast is there, and he's taken a bunch of this evidence and rearranged it himself to solve the mystery. I can't say what it is, but it's a very no. charming and neat uh, little uh, set piece where Pendergast solves this this, the one remaining mystery using the force of his intellect and nothing else and the evidence in front of him. Well, how does Corey feel about that? Does she feel I think upset? that... Yeah, seriously, how does she feel well, about that? <laughs> well, it was funny the first time we did it. I think everybody was surprised and pleased. Uh, yeah. Corey and Nora, for example, didn't know that they both were were acquainted with Pendergast until he showed up. Um, mm. We were planning on having this being a cameo appearance that 
is baked into the series, but we might not do that. We don't want we don't want our fans to and our readers to grow to be too comfortable with any tropes or cliche, um, God forbid, a cliche uh, in our books. But I think that Corey was pleased to see him, and probably a bit chagrined that she didn't figure out. They were all chagrined they didn't figure out what he does. But yeah. you know, it's simply it's simply Pendergast being himself. He comes in, he sees all the evidence, he looks at it objectively. You know, he he applies the Sherlockian uh, uh, principle, um, uh, which he himself, of course, you know, didn't make up. Um, and in in a brilliant stroke, he figures it all out, and then then dissolves in a puff of smoke. So she probably has mixed feelings. I would imagine, but you know, his power of, of observation and how he does things is so rare. I mean, I looked, I looked at his biography that is on the internet just to show how he, it's amazing. It's too bad in real life people can't do that, seriously, because he's unbelievable. So before we end, what is next for Nora? Well, Nora was not happy about the ending either. She wanted something, and she was kind of like, oh, my God. So where do you see her next, and where do you see Corey next? You are bringing them well, back. Well, I can you tell you to. that I can tell you that the unhappiness Nora feels at the end of this book yeah, she uh, does not, not end. It does not end, Good. and in fact, it leads into something else that happens at the beginning of the next book, which we are working on right now. Um, and uh, uh, Corey also um, is uh, in a... In a um, it keeps developing, and as does her relationship with the FBI and her boss Morwith. So we're 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 trying to continue, continue developing them, both in terms of their careers and in terms of characters. You know, uh, maturing and and their own relationship, uh, inner relationship, getting more complex and uh, and deep. That is good. So what's next for you, and where can we everybody learn more about your work? And make sure I get it, seriously. <laughs> well, yes. Um, well, we have a, a, a website, www.prestonchild.com. And very importantly, we have a newsletter that goes once a month, not more frequently, which has all kinds of really interesting stuff, free short stories, interviews with Pendergast, all kinds of really information. It's not better to vote ourselves or our book. It's there to contain it. Go to our website, click on the newsletter, and just put in your email address. That we give the email address to anybody. In other words, email you more than once a month. So, uh, and we also have a Facebook page, Preston and Child. So uh, we love we love to interact with our readers, and so we welcome our readers, we welcome emails from our readers, and uh, so we, we hope to hear from you. Well, my review is on Just Reviews, which is my review site. Which is the minute I put it on there on the when your book came out on the twelfth, I won't even tell you how many people read what I write, like in ten seconds. Um, the twenty stars are on Amazon. Five stars are there. Seriously. There they are. Thank you very much. For both of we you, and don't forget for Corey and Nora. Yes, this is this is great. I love this. 
Um, do you do you ever do panel shows? Because you never know what I'm going to talk about. Um, we're we're going to talk about how people use their careers in their novels. With Dick Belsky, lawyers and a psychotherapist. Uh, I do how pub how publishing changed, but I also do how you create your villain. How you and, and the question one last question: How do you keep it interesting with Pendergrass in a uh, series? Because a lot of times, and I've read seriously, my husband counted over ten thousand books, maybe more. Um, I read a book, and then the character is like, "Oh my God, another book, another character, and the same same thing." Uh, you get bored. Just another novel, just another you know, episode. So how do you keep it interesting with Pendergrass? Because I never get bored ever. Well, there's there are three answers to that. One is. I was an editor before, so I've tried very hard to remain, an ob- remain uh, objective on our books yeah. and make sure we don't fall into that pattern of people just doing the same story over and over again, yeah. phoning in the story. Secondly, Doug and I work together. Um, it's not one person writing a book. So we can mm-hmm. each see if the other person is maybe going down a road we've traveled before Third, we are in mortal fear of of falling into that, what you just described. We never want yeah. that to happen. Our books have to be as interesting to us as they are to our readers. We don't ever want to disappoint our readers. Um, the only way it's fun for us is if, if we're discovering something new and challenging ourselves. And if we get, ever get to a point where that's not the case, we'll go dig ditches. I, that that is good because I I I read a couple of authors and I'm going like, okay the book is good but I can't stand it because it's the same thing over again. It's just another murder and the person solving it doesn't even know how to solve it. That that makes it even worse. Um, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. I'm gonna uh, email Stacy, and I want to thank you. Really, this has been great. I hope you'll do it again. Do you do panel shows seriously? Uh, uh, sometimes we're interested. Yeah. Well, we're, 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 we we we're interested in anything that will help our readers. So you know, just we we can see what what happens down the road. That's good. I hope I get the next every single novel, everyone. But before I end the show, this is something that I say all the time. Um, I don't know about anybody else, but I haven't seen my family in almost a year and a half because of this fun that's happening outside. So just one small ask. When you go outside, please be safe and wear a mask. It's important. Um, You'll be protecting me, you, and everyone else, and maybe somebody up there will make this pandemic go away forever. So thank you so much, Doug and Lincoln, and please, everybody stay safe. Have a great day, and bye. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.